This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Good morning. Thank you for being with us this morning. We're very excited to share Resurrection Sunday with you. We've got a great program for you this morning. And um, before we get into it, the the first thing that I really want to do is I want to share communion with you. I don't think Resurrection Sunday would be complete without sharing in communion. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. And I hope that you've got some bread or wine or something of the, the sort that you can take and use to participate in communion. I want to read from you first from Matthew chapter 26. And all of us know this. We, we read it with regularity. Starting at verse 26, it says, As they ate, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. Then he said to them, This is my body. Eat it. Then taking the cup of wine, he gave praises to the Father. He entered into covenant with them, saying, This is my blood. Each of you must drink it in fulfillment of the covenant. For this is the blood that seals the new covenant. It'll be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. We talk about Resurrection Sunday, and the important thing about Resurrection Sunday is that it is defined by a resurrection. A resurrection means that there has to have been a death. A resurrection means to give life to something. There has to have been death in order to realize something being energized with life. Jesus is with his disciples and he is, what we would refer to is participating in the Last Supper with them. And he takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he gives them the bread. And he says to them, I want you to take this and I want you to eat of it. Because it is a testimony, it's a marker, it's a memorial. Every time you do this, it needs to remind you of the price that was paid so that you could experience resurrection life in your body. So that you can experience resurrection life in health. As you take the bread today and you eat it, I want you to remember the price that was paid in order for you to experience life in your body. And then he took the cup. And having taken the cup, he said, this is the blood. He was talking about the sacrifice that would be made for the forgiveness of sin. He was talking about the death that would have to take place in order so that we could experience resurrection life in our spirit. It was the marker The wine is the testimony of the price that Jesus paid for mankind so that he could deal with a sin problem once and forever so that we could experience resurrection life and we could know what it was to once again have relationship with the Father. When you take the blood and you drink it, I want you to think about the price that was paid for you to have an encounter with resurrection life. When we talk about the bread and we talk about the cup, we refer to them as testimonies. They're markers. And every time that we use them, they're there to remind us of the price that was paid. Every time we participate in them and we partake of them, we're reminded of the death that took place. 
But the death is only part of the equation. You see, if we only have death without a resurrection, all you have is a martyr. The point of the death was it so, we, so that we could experience resurrection life. When we remember the body and when we remember the blood, when we remember the bread and when we remember the wine, they're testimonies to the death. But I want you to know something, that you are the marker and you are the testimony to the life. The reason that's important and the reason that Jesus paid the price so that you could engage and you could be the marker and the testimony to resurrection life. When you go through life and people participate, when people partake of your life, people should be partaking of resurrection. Everywhere that you go should be a testimony to resurrection life. We're thankful for the price that Jesus paid and we remember it. But we are thankful for resurrection life because we get to participate in it. Today is a good day and today we want to celebrate not only the death but the resurrection. So we have something special for you today. What we're going to do is we have three speakers. Nate is going to come and speak to us first. And once he's finished, we're going to hand over to Pastor Abel and he will speak to us and then I'm going to wrap everything up at the end. It's a way that we could take the concept of resurrection life and give it an interpretation through three different viewpoints. I trust that you'll enjoy it and I believe that you're going to be blessed by it. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Gavin. If we haven't met yet, it's probably a terrible first impression because I've been just bawling my eyes out during worship the whole time. So my face is probably all swollen and stuff. But it's my first, it's my first resurrection Sunday as a dad. And so this has really um, busted all these scriptures wide open for me. I cannot explain to you um, how shocked I was when Heather was doing offering and stole my scripture and stole my teaching, basically. So this is basically offering round two. Um, I just, I just, I've never pictured the resurrection this, um, and been this, this proud of Jesus. I, 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 I watched my son take his first steps this week. And I remember he didn't go like, hey, dad, you know, like this is, I'm going to take my first steps. I was just completely shocked standing in the kitchen about to eat dinner. And I, and I saw him start walking and I was like, oh my gosh, there was a pride in me that I didn't even know existed before. It was like, I had no idea how I could, how it could be possibly this, this incredibly, I could be possibly this incredibly proud of someone before a human being. And he's like, ah, oh, just taking his first step. So excited. And I'm bursting at my seams, like completely redefine the whole idea of baby steps. Like it's not this little thing. It's this magnificent giant thing for me. And I was just imagining when Jesus got out of the grave, how proud this, his father must have been seeing him make it accessible for us to have this relationship, this, um, this righteousness accessible to all of us. So if you have your Bibles, I want, I want to read a scripture um, in Romans 5 verse 1. I'm going to read the the Passion Translation. Oh my goodness, but you can read any version, it's good. So Romans 5 says this, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, has done for us. So he sees us now as he sees Jesus. This proud, oh, beloved, all spotless, all flawless because of what Jesus did for us. And 
what he did for us is what I want to talk about this morning. Um, because it's so beautiful. I mean, like the moment where he got out of the grave, I mean, I read about it all the time. I look at it, and like I said, like my whole face is swollen now because I'm thinking of it with a whole new perspective. But it's so much bigger than a moment for me. Uh, Heather said it best in, in John 11 where, um, there, where Martha was talking to Jesus about her brother being dead, Lazarus. And she was like, hey, listen, I, I know he's dead, but, but he'll rise again because Jesus said he'll rise again. And she said, yeah, in the last days, in the days of resurrection, yeah, he'll get again. She, she's focused on the future. She's focused on this like, oh yeah, that moment is to come. And, and I can wait for that moment. You're right, Jesus, you're good. And she misunderstood Jesus. So he made it really clear for her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He wasn't inviting Lazarus or Martha or all of us to this moment to remember and celebrate. I love Easter, and I'm so excited to celebrate it, but it's so much more than a moment. It's a person, and, and, and it's so much more than something to sit back and go, oh, what a, what a great thing that happened 2,000 years ago that changed everything. I remember the moment. I remember the moment that I realized that all my sin was washed away. I remember seeing the cross. I remember watching the passion of the Christ. I remember seeing it in the Bible. I remember seeing it in my heart breaking because I never felt worthy. I never felt like I was enough. I never felt like I deserved to be in a relationship. So I worked and worked and worked to try and get this relationship that he gave to me freely at a high price. And I remember that moment. I'll never be the same because of it. I remember skipping in my room. My showers looked different. I'd go home. I'd stole my uncle's Bible and I was like just falling in love with him more. I remember these moments and these moments and these moments. And I could tell you all these different memories of times I've had with God. But they're just memories. And, and, that, and that's beautiful. But I have access to, to encounter him as a person as the resurrection. Like I, I think about um, my wife who's at home watching with my son. And I remember the, our first date. I remember the time. I remember the moment. I, I, I remember it was November 3rd, 12.30 a.m. sitting in a pitch black living room at my grandma's house by myself. And I realized I don't want to marry anyone else. I realized I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And she's watching. Hey, baby, it's me. I'm talking about you on Easter. Um, but I remember the moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. I could tell you where I was standing. I could tell you where I fell on my knees and cried out to God. I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this moment. But every night I get to go home and I'm giddy. And every morning I wake up and I'm giddy just to see her. It's more than just a moment. It's a person I get to experience. And I love the moment, but I have access to experiencing the person and to intimately know her and get to know her more. So yes, I love Resurrection Day because it's an incredible moment. Don't get me wrong. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that moment. And I'm so thankful for that moment that changed history. It changed everything. The moment we, me and Megan said I do, it changed our entire future. And I had been imagining it, and I've been praying for it my whole entire life, and bang, there it was. But it was not just left there in a little thing I can keep in a cute notebook and take pictures of and write in my journal about. I, I fall asleep next to her every night, the same way I fall asleep next to Jesus every night. And when I wake up in the morning, I have access to him, to know him intimately, to fall deeply in love with him, to never be the same because of him. <sighs> And that's why my face is swollen, too, is that I just can't believe that someone would love me and care about me and care about you enough that he would lay down everything. I mean, this, this man who walked like a lamb just silently to the slaughter has overcome the grave. I mean, we're singing about it, but we have access to the same man, not just as a memory of a cute song we sing. And I love this song. Don't get me wrong. It's such a powerful song. But I would hate to miss the man that I'm singing about when I'm getting caught up in the lyrics that I'm singing about. Like... 
It could be so easy to, but the, like Heather said, it was, he, he, this whole idea of resurrection is, is, is so that we'd have relationship with him. And, and a powerful one too, a one of influence, a one that, that sin and death have no claim on, on our lives anymore. A one that we can choose who our master is. And I found a great master. I found a great one. And I have, I have great news. He's, he's on the edge of his seat longing to be encountered and be known by you. I'm so excited. I think the only person who really gets it is Paul. So if you have your Bibles, go to Philippians 3. We're going to read what he says because he's the only one who's like as excited as me. Granted, I'm in a very empty room right now. Okay, Philippians 3. I will read out of the NLT. Um, thank you, Jesus. I'll read it out of the NLT, but I might bump to the, pa- the passion later. Okay, so we'll start in uh, Philippians 3 verse... Uh, seven. And, and at this time, the funny thing about this chapter is Paul is sitting in prison, but he's bragging about all his qualifications. This is what I would do uh, before I knew Jesus. I, I would tell people, you know, I read my Bible all the time. I grew up in church, man. I know all the Christian nursery rhymes. I know Jesus loves me. I have his love down in my heart. I got the joy, joy, joy. And I tell everyone these things and I would try really hard. And I have this long rap sheet of reasons why I have right relationship with God. And, and Philippians goes and and sorry, Philippians, Paul says the same thing. He was like, I remember being circumcised at, at eight and I was like an Orthodox Jew and I studied all these different things and I have, and he goes on this long rap sheet of all these reasons why he could be counted as righteous. Like he deserves to be counted as righteous, right? And it's so exciting because he's like, look at all these things. I'm the best of the best, right? But he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when I compare to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> for the sake, for this, for his sake, I've decided, oh my gosh, I can't even see. I've decided, oh my gosh, for this, for this sake, I have dis guarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. This is, this is the verse that I feel like he gets it. He's so excited. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him in sharing, sharing in his death. Can I just read that? Where's my phone? If you have the, the Google, um, Google the Passion Translation of this verse, but uh, it's, it's Philippians 3.10, it says this, And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. This idea of a moment is beautiful, and, and I love all the moments I've shared with Jesus, and I know you guys have had moments yourself, and if you haven't, you, here you go. Here's an opportunity to have a moment with him. There's, there's, there's this um, constant invitation that you saw Jesus talking to Martha about that is so much more than just taking a dead thing and bringing it back to life, and then everyone going, yay, and like, yes, she had a brother back, but but there's an invitation when you're talking about a person, not a moment. And, and that's a perpetual or a, like the Passion Translation says, a continual thing of getting to experience him, of knowing him and experiencing him. And the only way we get to access that is like what Paul did. He, he takes all of our qualifications for having, take them and throw them in the garbage. 
to take it. The only way we have access to that is to, is to, to if you really want to know him, it, it, you have to say, everything I have in my past, be it great or, uh, or be it bad, the, he talks about some bad things in there. He, he, you take it, throw it in the garbage for the sake of gaining Christ, for the sake of knowing him, of intimately experiencing this resurrection power, not this resurrection moment, but this resurrection man to get to experience him. Oh my goodness. The only way we get to do that is through faith, not through anything we've done. So whether you've overqualified yourself and you think you're fantastic, or you think that you were like me, it just you know, years ago where you had no reason to ever put yourself in the same room as God. There is no matter, even the best of best, the best of the best is sitting here telling us, hey, listen, all this stuff, it is worse than garbage. I think the New King James says it's dung. It's dung compared to knowing Christ intimately. And, and there's no one, I want to introduce my, my brother to, to talk and share uh, a little bit more about the resurrection. But can I tell you personally, I've learned so much about not just knowing the scripture and, and, um, and memorizing it and, and being a good Christian boy and, and marking up all my Christian bounty points, but actually experiencing this resurrection, experiencing the resurrection. I've learned so much from him because he won't settle for just memorizing scripture. He has to become it. He has to know it. He has to walk out this resurrection power. So please, if you're at home, get real loud and rowdy for Pastor Abel. So Nate has, has always been to me a, a man after God's own heart. And you see that. You just see it in his eyes. You see it in his heart. And... Um, I just, I love that man so much. Um, for me, I was not bawling. I, I just smile so much today. Today is like happy day. And, um, and I'll, sh- I'll share with you why. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians 2. And Nate hit it right on the nose. You, you really have to look at Paul. There's a reason he was chosen to write like two-thirds of the New Testament. There's a reason. So if you read Paul's words, you should really look at it as if they're in red. You really need to. Like he was chosen for a reason. And I'm going to read from, this is first Corinthians chapter two, verse two, because today is a reminder of where you start every single day of your life. This is today is a reminder of where you already are, not what you're working towards, but where you already are. And Paul got that. He got that. What, what, what King Nate read today, that he believed, right? He believed in that righteousness was transferred, that it was an awakening of, oh my gosh, it's been here this whole time. How come no one told me? <laughs> That's the good news of the gospels. It's a, the gospel is a, an awakening to what is already there. It's not something you're working toward. It's an awakening to a light that's been on for 2,000 years. It's been on. It's been on. It's an awakening to it. So I love what Paul says here. This is 1 Corinthians 2. For I resolve, oh, this is the amplified, the juicy version. I call this the juicy Bible. For I resolve to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of the knowledge of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you, except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and him crucified. I'm going to read that again to be conscious of nothing among you except, here's his focus, Jesus Christ and the Messiah crucified. This is key. Because it can't just be Jesus. It has to be Jesus crucified. It has to be Jesus resurrected. You see, if you just preach Jesus, what you're really going to do is preach law. You'll preach, I need to be more like Jesus. That's not Jesus crucified. Jesus crucified is, you already are in him. 
that you start from that place. That Jesus not crucified is Jesus is your ceiling and you're working towards to become like him. If you ever catch yourself, I need to be more like Jesus. You're not preaching Jesus crucified. You're just preaching Jesus. No, I am set to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which means resurrected. You see what, what Paul understood was I'm not trying to be more like Jesus, that Jesus is not my ceiling. He's my floor that every day I start at that point, no matter what. So I encourage you, where is your floor today? Are you trying to muster up something? Because what Jesus preached was the law. He told people, hey, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, pluck them out. And then the the people were like, wow, um, I can't do this. And Jesus was like, good answer, you can't. That's why it's better that I go away. That's why it's better that I go away. Because Jesus not crucified means you're going to cut off your limbs to try to be holy. You're going to try to do something to become more like him. And you can't. That's what Paul understood. I only know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now let's keep reading. And I was in, passed into a state of weakness and fear, dread, and great trembling after I had come among you. And my language and my message, here's his message, was not set forth in persuasive, enticing, and plausible words of wisdom, but they were in the demonstration of Holy Spirit and power of Holy Spirit and power, a proof by the Spirit and power of God operating on me and stirring in the minds of my hearers, the most hearers, the most holy emotions, thus persuading them, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, of human philosophy, but in the power of God. That was his focus. Jesus Christ was him crucified. And then that last verse is him resurrected. That he gets the power. That all the power is in him and I'm already there. So I incur- my question for you this morning is what are you celebrating? Are you celebrating trying to work something up to become more holy? Or are you celebrating that I am holy? As, as Nick King Nate talked every morning holy and flawless because of those three words. What did he say? It is finished. And if you don't know what he finished, you will spend effort in an area that's into something that's already been conquered. That is what religion is. You're putting effort in an area that's already been conquered. If if you're trying to conquer sin, you've missed it. Romans 6, look at this. I'm going to read this in the Passion. This This is beautiful. Look what Paul says. Romans 6, 14. Remember this, sin will not conquer you for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of grace. You see, Paul understood that I no longer have to conquer sin. He conquered it for me. I receive that. Where we start, where you start is vital. How you end your day is really easy. Where did you start? Did you start as Christ crucified or just Christ because the church has done a good job of preaching Jesus, but we need to do a better job of teaching Christ crucified, resurrected, that that's where we start. You, we already have the power. We already have the power that as he is, so are we. Even in our thoughts, right? We know that we now have the mind of Christ. We have it. Something that God put on my heart yesterday, I, I, I go on walks with God and I talk and I was like, what did you want me to mention today? Is there anything specific? And he said, mention the floor. And what he told me was, Jesus is the floor, not the ceiling. Because the Bible says this, it's not your job to be a conqueror. 
He called you to be more than a conqueror. You see, Jesus conquered everything for you. That's why we have to be more than conquerors. So a lot of the times we put effort in an area where he's already conquered it. Finances, healing, joy. I mean, everything. You're putting effort in an area he already conquered. So we, are, we're, we're, we haven't yet reached that place where we're being more than conquerors because we're still struggling with, did he conquer this yet? I'm still, I'm still addicted to this. Did he, did he conquer this? Yes. Yes. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why he's an amazing dad because he conquered everything for you. So your starting places, you're already a conqueror. That's why you have to be more than a conqueror. That is the resurrected life. That is Christ crucified, not just Christ. And the reality is this. <laughs> this, is, this is the extremely good news that Paul knew. Because the disciples kind of argued with him in Acts. Like, wait, wait, isn't this Paul? Isn't this Paul that, you know, or Saul, the one who murdered us? He's like, no, 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 look at me now. Everything's new. And they, they, they're like, no, 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 he, he's the bad guy. No, 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 look at me now. Everything's new. Like, it, it was like that. It was not a process. As Nate said, this is not a process. It's a person. It's not a process. You walking and healing and miracles is not a process. It's a person. It's in him and you're already in him. And it's, here's the best part. It's not your fault. He chose you. He appointed you. He called you. It's not your fault. Isn't that good news? So what God told me was this, because so many of us, I believe, want to heal the sick, raise the dead. And before you can do that, you really have to already see yourself as that. Because that's the truth. The truth is, because I've done this before. I, I, I want to heal the sick, so I'm going to go out and heal the sick. And I've done that. I've gone to Walmart and see it. But then I, something happens and I stop. And I go, God, what happened? He goes, you, you tried to be like Jesus. I tried to, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do it. And it happened. I saw miracles, yet I kept backsliding. And I was like, what was it? I was not preaching Christ crucified. I was just preaching Christ. I'm going to be more like him. The truth is we already are as he is. So are we right now? As if you look in the mirror, you already have it all. You already have his fullness. Each one of you. And this is what God told me. And I'm going to ask the people in this room, raise your hand. If you've ever walked on water, I have a room full of unbelievers. And I say that because this, each one of you has walked on water. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. I'm going to read that first part. He joined us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. So when he walked on water, you walked on the water with him. When he raised the dead, you raised the dead with him. You've already done it with him. He already sees you as a dead raiser. And if you don't see that, you're going to try to be more like Jesus instead of Jesus is my floor. So now I can be more than a conqueror. You have already walked on water. You have already raised the dead in his eyes. You start from that place. And if you don't, you will struggle. You will, you will just try to be more like Jesus. You already are. You are complete. Each one of you has already walked on water. Each one of you has already raised the dead. And this is the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. Anything one of us does, we get. Because we are the body. For example, if Pastor Bet heals the sick, he'll, let's say Pastor Bet healed a dead person yesterday. That was me too. I'm part of the body. If I was an MLB pitcher and I pitched a no-hitter to win the World Series, 
No one would run up to me, grab my right arm and go, good job, right hand, you did it all. No, they would come to me and go, good job, because this thing works together. This thing is one body. This thing, it all gets the glory. Does that make sense? Think about that. So anytime you hear a testimony, if you're not excited, it means you might be an island. Get a part of the body. You're part of his body. What Jesus did, you did. When Jesus raised the dead, you raised the dead too. You are already a dead raiser in his eyes. You have already walked on water. You've already done the impossible. I love how Todd White says this. You can't do holy. You can't. You are holy. You be holy. So today to me is a reminder that I'm already there. I'm already filled with immense, the power of God, the fullness already in me. And it's not my fault. And if I don't start from that place, I will try to do to be something I already am. I will try to conquer something he's already conquered. You are complete. Today is a reminder where your floor is and your floor is perfect. You can't go lower than Jesus. Your worst day is Jesus. Your worst day is you are a beloved son and daughter of God. No matter what, that is as low as you can go. That's why you get to be more than a conqueror. You get to see the power of God move. But your starting place is everything, which is Christ crucified. It is him resurrected. And he sat down because he finished the job. It's your job to find out what he finished. What are the treasures? What do you get? So congratulations. I'm looking at a bunch of dead razors, water walkers. I mean, we're there. That's it. Because I'm telling you, if you don't see that... You will try to conquer something that's already been conquered. You can't do that. So that is my good news for you for today is where, what are you standing on? When, you're, when your feet hit the floor from that bed, what are you standing on? Because where your starting place determines your end place. So if you're not in Jesus, you will work to be more like him. And around and around and around you'll go. I've done that. I've tried to be more holy and more holy. No, no, no. Every day I start as a dead raiser. I'm perfect. As Nate said, I'm righteous. (laughs) I've already healed the sick. And when someone else, I hear a testimony, that's mine. I grab onto it. That's me. I'm part of that same body. So living faith, I love you and celebrate today. Where is your floor? Today is a reminder. Your floor is perfection. You can't go any lower than that in God's eyes. So thank you, love you. So Pastor Gavin's got this end word here. Thank you, Pastor Gavin. At the end of that, we could all go home with a, a good couple of messages. So great, it's fantastic. Um, won't you open your Bibles to Mark chapter five? If you don't have them with you, you can just jot it down, I'll read to you. Um, I wanna read to you a story that everybody knows. And you've heard it. And I want to speak on it just for a few minutes. Basically, I've taken a little piece of a a teaching that I want to do next week. Because I think it has pertinence and it has relevance for today. Mark chapter 5 verse 21 says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. If you drop down to verse 35, it says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled, Overwhelming Sight with Vision overwhelming sight with vision. When we talk about resurrection life, resurrection life is not supposed to be something that is a concept. Resurrection in life is not a foundational principle that we just simply have an understanding and a recognition of. When we talk about resurrection life, it is supposed to be something which has an effect and an influence on who you are as a person and the way that you live everyday life. Resurrection life means the impartation of something which is dead and gives it newness of life. There are aspects to our life and there are avenues, there are things that we engage in with regularity, both in terms of our reality and the context in which we find ourselves. And God's invitation that he extends to us is to grab hold of resurrection life and engage in transformation, engage in change. You are to be an active participant living out what it means to be a partaker of resurrection life. Earlier this week, I had to send an email to somebody on staff And I wanted to create a document for them. And so I have a program on my computer called Illustrator. And it's a fabulous program because it lets you get in and it lets you design all kinds of wonderful things. You can put graphics together. You can get a a great, you can get your ideas and you put them down creatively. And so I love it. So I created this document and I sent it to another person. The problem with it was, is that the person who received the document never had Illustrator as a program in their computer. And so when they try to open it, all that ended up happening was there's a whole bunch of garbled stuff. And when they had a look at it, they, had, they, they called me and they said to me, what you sent to me doesn't make any sense. What, sent, what you've sent to me is just foolishness. It just looks silly because I, I can't access what you're trying to communicate with me. The problem that they had is that in their central processing unit, they never had a program that was able to take what I had given them, decipher it and interpret it in a way that they were able to comprehend it, access it, and as a result of it, engage with me. It's a problem that we have all too often as Christians. What ends up happening is, unless we have a program inside of ourselves where we're able to access the things of God, they are foolishness to us. The Bible talks about the people who, are, who do not have resurrection life on the inside of them. The challenge is every time God tries to communicate with people like that, they don't get God because they perceive it as foolishness. They don't have the ability to be able to grab hold of the things of God, interpret it effectively, and as a result of it, let it have influence and affect who they are. So God wants to do something in people's lives. God wants to do something in your life today. Once God gets on a mission and he starts the process of affecting and transforming your life, he wants to work and touch and change your heart. It's called grace. 
Grace is all about God's influence in who we are. God's influence in our heart so that it can be seen in our life. God is busy working in people's lives. He's changing and he's affecting the programs in your life so that he can work with you more effectively. When God does something in the inside of us, it brings about a change and a transformation that only he can activate and only he can bring to, into being. When he does that for us, all of a sudden we find ourselves at a different place because I find myself at a place where suddenly I have a paradigm shift and I'm able to engage God in a context where I'm able to relate to where where he is and what he's all about. When he speaks to me, I'm able to grab parts of what he gives me and I have a context for it. I have a placeholder for it. And when I put it in that space, it takes on a life of its own and it begins to grow on the inside of me. And I'm able to grab hold of him and walk into the things of God. When God begins to work and touch in my heart, what ends up happening is my language with him and my relationship with him becomes robust. All of a sudden I get to the place where the two of us are able to commune together. I'm able to relate to him and I'm able to speak to him and he's able to speak to me. And I find myself at a place where all of a sudden I'm not dealing with a God who's inaccessible to me, but I'm dealing with a God who loves me, a God who wants to talk to me, a God who wants to reach out and touch me where I am. A God who's continually speaking into my life. When he touches your heart, he wants to engage with you in interaction. When God touches your heart, he's going to activate your life. When God touches your heart, he's going to activate your life. He wants for you to grab a hold of who he is and what he's all about. And he wants for the the, the revelation that he gives you and the understandings that he give you, gives you to begin to affect and transform not only the way you live, but what your future looks like. God doesn't talk to your reality. God comes to your heart. God is always going to meet you at the place that is most intimate to you. He's going to meet you at your central processing unit. That's where God and you are going to have an encounter. And when you encounter God at that most central part of your life, it's designed to be transformational. He's not only going to do something on the inside of you so that you can live in a place where you can cohabit with God and it's something which is exclusive between the two of you. He wants to introduce you to resurrection life so that it is transformational and you can grab hold of that life and you can use it and exercise it in the way that you go out and you live your everyday existence. Resurrection life and what God is going to do in your heart is designed to enlarge your capacity to living and it is designed to increase your capabilities. When you have new programs to your life, you can do things that you couldn't do before. Too many people get stuck in word. All they do is they can text documents to one another. All they can ever do is that they can write documents to one another. The problem with it is God wants to expand your capacity for living. He wants to expand your capabilities. And the way that he's going to do that is he wants to touch your CPR. He wants to touch the very heart of who you are and what you're all about. And when he grabs a hold of that space, he's going to make you realize that there is a capacity for living that you never had any concept of until he began to open it up for you. He's going to introduce you to the capability that you're able to walk into where there you can do things that you were never able to do as long as you lived in word. But when he put Illustrator into your CPU, all of a sudden I realized that I have capabilities and things that I can do, not because I'm so great, because all of a sudden resurrection life has been passed and, and imputed to me. 
And I'm recognizing and realizing what that is in the different avenues and aspects of my life. People want to spend their days. We live in a day and an age where people like everything which is bigger and smarter and slicker and smoother and cleaner and crisper. And so people go out and when they're shopping for their new computer, they love to get one of those really thin little screens because they're so hip and it's so trendy. And they like to get the speakers that give them the surround sound because that's very cool. And we love to get hold of the keyboard that um, operates wirelessly because who needs wires? They get in the way. And we like to get hold of our, our, our little box where all the gadgets and everything and keep it compact and keep it small and put some lights on it and make it look really contemporary and cool. We love all of that stuff. And all of that stuff is really nice. The problem with it is if you want to touch your capacity and you want to influence your capabilities, you're not going to do it through what it looks like. You're going to do it through affecting and changing the central processing unit of your life. People want to go about and they think it's so important for them to expend all of their energy, to expend so much time and so much of what they do, investing in enlarging their understanding of life. And it has a place, but you're not going to do what God wants you to do by investing in your energy, by putting your energy into your knowledge base. It's important, but it's not what God wants. You can spend your time and you can spend your energy harnessing and and beginning to understand and develop your skill set in life. It has a place, but it's not what God's looking for. You can work more diligently, you can work harder, and you can be more productive in life. And that's a great thing, it has its place. But it's not going to enlarge your capacity for living or your capability. If you're a person who's interested in the things of God, the place that you focus and the place that you look is get a hold of your CPR, your CPR, your central processing unit. Grab a hold of what God wants to do on the inside of you. The other stuff is extraneous to God. Jairus comes to God, to Jesus, because he's got a problem. He comes to Jesus because he says, you know what? My little girl is dying. Anybody. Whoever has been a father knows you can touch my world, but don't touch my kids. You can do what you like with all the other aspects of my life, and I'll manage that stuff. Don't touch my kids. As things become closer and move closer to the heart of who we are, so the circumstances and the situations that affect them become more consequential in our life. I don't mind handling stuff that's out on the periphery because it doesn't touch me deeply. But when you start to touch the things that are most sacred to me, it's hard because it unsettles my life. 
that's not just a problem. It's something that engenders my emotion. It's something that rips the heart from who you are. And you have feelings and you have thoughts and you have ideas and you have opinions and you have limitations and you have obstructions and you're trying to find solutions. And it's a hard place. And Jesus says to him, I'll come with you. I'll come with you. And on the way, Jesus gets waylaid. I'm in a hurry. My daughter's dying. Jesus gets waylaid. And when he's finished with that episode, somebody walks in and they say, Jairus, don't worry Jesus anymore. Your daughter's died. There are times in our life where things seem bad and things seem bleak. And just when you think it's rough, somebody comes in and says, you think it was bad? It's just got worse. It's just got worse. You might be living today in worse. But I want you to know something. Jesus is quick to understand what's going on. He's quick to read the situation. And he looks at what's happening. You know what the problem is with most people? We construct our reality from what we see. And we construct our reality from our eyes and not our heart. We construct our reality from our eyes and not our heart. We have a look at what's happening around about us. And it's not to say that those things don't have a place because they're happening. The challenge with it is we construct our reality from what we see. We construct our reality from our eyes and not our heart. And Jesus immediately intervenes because he sees that something's happening in Jairus. You came to me because you believed in me. You came to me because you believed that I could do something in your situation. And now all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're perplexed. You find yourself in a situation where you caught somewhere between how you're feeling, what people are telling you, and the belief that in initially drove you to me and Jesus intervenes immediately and what does he do he says Jairus recalibrate your life recalibrate your problem is you're listening don't get into fear go back to belief only believe what is he saying he's saying Jairus don't step into your reality live from your heart he's saying go back to the central processing unit where were we If you can re-engage yourself at that place and you can believe, if you can get yourself once once again re-immersed in the fact that he can do it and resurrection life can affect and change something, it'll happen. It'll happen. Second Corinthians. Chapter 12 and verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. 
My grace is sufficient for you. Grace is God's influence on your heart. Grace is God's influence on your central processing unit. What he's saying to you is this. Stick with what I've done on the inside of you. Stick with what's alive on the inside of you. Get back to your beliefs. Go back to that space that you and I have found as an intimate point. Because if you can live in that space, what will end up happening is transformation and change will happen. When you can go back to belief, when you can go back to my grace, which is able to walk you through whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, whether it's gone from bad to worse, hold on to that because my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my power is perfected in weakness. You don't need God's power when everything's going fine. You don't need God's power when everything around you is perfect and rosy and things are looking good. You need God's power when things have gone from bad to worse. You need God's power when you're looking around you and your reality doesn't look like you want it to be. At that point is you need God's power to intervene. And God's sitting saying to you, you know what? If you get your life reestablished, if you can leave, if you can leave yourself at a point where you're established and you're grounded on what you believe, what will end up happening is you'll discover that who I am in your life will be more than enough to carry you through the situation. And don't worry about your ability to be able to see yourself through because my power is there to be able to transfer you from where you are to where it is that you need to be. Stay in your heart. Stay grounded and rooted in your central processing unit. Don't move from that place. The seduction we face as people is we want to manage our reality at the expense of leading our life. The seduction we face as people is our reality demands our attention. It demands our focus. It demands our energy. It demands our contribution. And we get so absorbed into our reality that we forget about leading our life. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Never heard of it. Worldwide pandemic today. It's amazing what a few months can do. But the seduction is to manage your reality as opposed to leading your life. So I get out there and I become aware of distancing myself from everybody else. All of a sudden I put my gloves on when I go out and I wear my mask. It's not to say that those things are bad. There is a place to be prudent. There's a place to be wise. And the Holy Spirit will enable you to manage your reality. He will give you what you need to manage that. We have a look at what's happening. And all of a sudden, I start to cut my budget. And I start to trim things back a little bit. Why? Because the stock market's gone through the floorboards. And all of a sudden, my 401k is sitting in the toilet. And I'm busy managing my finances really carefully because I'm aware of what's happening in the situation right now. All of a sudden, my job is potentially in the skids and I don't even know if I have a job. So I'm trying to do whatever I need to do to hold on to everything. If I'm a person who's an entrepreneur, I'm looking at the business landscape and I don't see anything on the horizon that's been looking particularly good. So what am I doing? I'm digging the trenches and I'm taking care of myself and I'm fortifying everything to look after the reality that I find myself in. 
God is going to equip you with the wisdom to know how to handle your reality. The challenge that we have is this. If you abdicate leadership, you lose the ability to influence your future. Management has everything to do with your reality and the status quo. Leadership has everything to do with what is your future going to look like. The reason that God calls us is because leadership is active. Leadership isn't passive. Leadership grabs hold of the status quo and it says, where are we going with this? Leadership is about taking something that defines your reality in the current situation. And it says, let's have a look at how we influence our future. Which direction are we taking it in? As long as we are absorbed into our current reality, we get so overwhelmed by that, that we're not giving any direction to our life. And we wake up in a few months time or a few years time and what ends up happening I am where the situations dumped me out I gave no direction to where it was going we need to manage our lives not at the expense of leadership you lead your life you lead your life leadership is important because leadership is based on two important criteria number one you got to have vision where are you going Where are you going? You don't get to have leadership if you don't have a direction. If you can't see where it is that you're going. The whole reason that we have the man of the heart, the Holy Spirit, is because he's going to take what God has put on the inside of you. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to take the canvas of your soul and he's going to begin to paint pictures on it. And you know what the pictures are going to be representative of? Something called hope. The reason that the Holy Spirit comes in is because he's taking you and he's sitting saying, take your focus off your reality and put your focus on hope. Where does God want to take you? Let me show you a picture. Let me show you a vision. Let me give you an idea of God's design for your future. Why? Because he's feeding your leadership capacities and your potential. He's sitting saying, you and I are going to go into partnership because I'm going to give direction to your life because I'm not happy to leave you where you are right now. You and I have got a hope and a future and we're going there together as partners. And the first thing I need for you to do is you need to see where we're going. Do you know where we're going? I gotta have a vision. I gotta have a vision. But vision in and of itself is not good enough. Because you see, when you talk about leadership, leadership is not having an idea of where you should go. Leadership is having the courage to be able to head your life in that direction. I have to be persuaded of something. I need to be at a place where I'm so convinced of something that I'm prepared to take who I am and I'm prepared to put my head on a block for it. I'm prepared to jump into your arms, not only because I know that you have the capability to be able to catch me, but I know that you have the willingness and that you have the desire and the intentionality to grab me. If you're going to take your life somewhere, you need to have vision. You need to have hope. You need to know where God wants to take you. But you also have to be in relationship with him to know that when you start to muster all of your resources, when you grab a hold of all the different elements of your life, when you start putting your head on a block and moving your life in a direction, you need to know that his power is going to come through for you. That's why we don't get to live in the knowledge of him. We get to live in relationship with him. Knowledge will paint pictures for you. But relationship will step you into leadership. Relationship will move your life from where it is and transform it and pull it out of your current reality and move it forward to a place that starts to is defined by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus arrives at the house. And he has a look. And he says, don't worry. She's just sleeping. Why is it that Jesus saw something that everybody else missed? Because he looked with his heart and not his eyes. And when he looked with his heart in an audience that was looking with their eyes, they ridiculed him and they mocked him. And what did he do? He said, everybody out. Everybody out. The only people who come with me are Peter, James, and John. And the parents. That's it. When you become a person who begins to live from vision and not from sight, what's going to end up happening is you become a person who lives from the heart and not from your reality. Be prudent. Don't go and open your mouth in front of people who live by what they see. Because the problem with it is they're not going to see what you see. They're looking at reality and you're looking at vision. They're looking at the status quo and you're looking at hope. The problem with it is, as long as you spend your life and you take your vision and you spread it out with people who are looking with their eyes, you're throwing pearl before swine because they don't see it. It's when people are going to turn around and they're going to mock you and they're going to point fingers at you and they're going to say, but don't you understand how severe the situation is? Don't you recognize how bad it is? Don't you see that it's gone from bad to worse? Don't you see that the the virus is killing everybody? Don't you see that it's dead? Why? Because they're looking with their eyes and not their heart. We need the Peter, James and Johns in our life. You need some people in your life who can see with the heart and not with the eyes. Because when you spend your time with Peter, James, and John, they're going to come into agreement with you. When you spend your time with Peter, James, and John, they're going to say, I see what you see. I see she's sleeping. Come on, let's go in there. Let's go and pray for her. Let's get her up and let's get her out of the bed. That's who you need. You need visionaries in your life. You need people of hope in your life. You need people who have a a, a CPU that is alive with the things of God on the inside of you. And you need those people to be able to speak into your life. Because what they're going to do is they're not going to see what's dead. They're going to see what's sleeping. I don't want people in my life. And all they ever see is death. I don't need you to point out death. I can see things well enough for myself if I use my eyes. What separates me is that I'm a peculiar person. What makes me different is the fact that I don't just live in the norm like everybody else. What makes me different is the fact that I have a a program that's alive on the inside of me that says, let me speak to you. Because you know what? When I give you my vision and my interpretation of what's going on, it'll transform everything. As long as you live in your reality, your reality will keep you sucked in and mired into your limitations. When you live from the heart, you'll be introduced to truth and the truth will set you free. If you're looking for freedom today and you want to step out of where you are, I can tell you now, as long as you're living from your eyes, you will get stuck in your limitations. As long as you're living from your eyes, you will be stuck in a thousand and one reasons why she's dead. A thousand and one reasons why she's never going to raise from the dead. It's when you open your heart 
all of a sudden you touch truth, that truth comes in. And when truth comes in, truth will set you free because truth will give you vision. Truth will introduce you to the fact that, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God calls us to live by vision and not by sight. Your reality will keep you on the ground. When people like the Wright brothers had vision to sit and say, but man can be in the sky. Your reality will keep you in the boat when vision says you can get out and walk on the water. Your vision, your reality will make you see a lifeless girl when vision will say she's only sleeping. Let's raise her up. What is your reality telling you today about your life? And what is vision telling you? You see, when we live from our eyes and not our heart, we see things differently to the way God sees them. And we always run the risk of being caught up in our limitations as opposed to being introduced to freedom. Jesus died and paid the price for resurrection life. You are a testimony and you are a marker. You are someone who is a walking monument to resurrection life. Resurrection life doesn't live by what it sees. Resurrection life lives by vision. Resurrection life isn't interested in realities. Resurrection life is interested in truth. Resurrection life is never going to get mired down and caught up in limitations. Resurrection life will set you free. Resurrection life is a person by the name of Jesus. He wants to come in and he wants to touch the very foundation of who you are. He wants to change your central processing unit so that you can access the things of him. So that you can talk to him about your realities and he can paint vision in your life. He wants to introduce you to activation called leadership so that he frees you from the limitations of management and introduces you to the opportunity to influence your life so that you can project it and move it into your future. You're designed to have influence. As you celebrate resurrection day to day, I want to encourage you. Recognize all that Christ has done for you. The reason he died was so that he could give life to death. And everything in your life right now that is, has a character outside of God's design for it, the invitation is to take of him and introduce it and make, bring it to life. Give it life. Yeah. Father, I just want to thank you that you are so good. I want to thank you, Jesus, for the price that you paid. I want to thank you for the body that was broken for us, and I want to thank you for the blood that was spilled. 
I want to thank you that it opens up opportunities for us to step into a new covenant, a new dispensation with you, where we can leave death behind and we can become active partakers of resurrection life. I want to thank you, Father, that as living testimonies to resurrection life. Everywhere we go, we are people who live by and are characterized by vision. I thank you that we look at circumstances, at our realities, at the situations that confront us right now, not by our sight, but through vision. I want to thank you, Father, for 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We live by faith and not by sight. It's what separates us from everybody else. I thank you for new creation realities and that we are a living testimony to that. I thank you for the finished work of Christ that touches us and transforms us and changes us. And we bless you for it now. I thank you for every person watching. Holy Spirit, I ask you to touch their lives in an incredible way. I ask you to unsettle where they are. And I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that right at the moment, you're moving in there and you're touching their central processing unit. I want to thank you that you're adding to that. You're increasing the capacity and the capability of who they are so that people are walking into a new, fresh, and empowered dimension of who you are. We bless you for it now. Amen.